the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Friday, friends. Welcome to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, and I'm joined by Brian Fromm. Brian, we made it to the end of another week. Happy Friday, TGIF. <laughs> Big weekend plans ahead. Here we go, right? I hope you say TGIF every Friday from every here on time, forward. Every Wednesday, I'm going to say hump day. Every Friday, I'm going to see TGIF. <laughs> Those are going to be your things, right? <laughs> Land the plane. We're on all of them. Yes. <laughs> the maiden voyage. Well, this, uh, this show, The Common Good. It's all about finding what we have in common, engaging in common conversations, whether you've been walking with the Lord for a long time or you're still wrestling with these questions of faith and spirituality. We want to be a place to dive into the messiness, the authenticity of what it means just to be a human and all the complexities therein. So uh, that's the kind of uh, environment that we're looking to create, and uh, we're so glad that you're here joining us. Um, it's been an interesting couple of days, though, and one of the things that we stumbled upon was this uh, this article entitled, Ten Signs the Christian Authors You're Following Are Subtly Teaching Unbiblical Ideas. <laughs> subtly Teaching Unbiblical Ideas, which, I, I mean, I'll be honest, even just by the title, I'm already a little skeptical. <laughs> I don't know how articles like this particularly strike you, but it kind of hits it off here with item number one. Uh, the heading is, they say, I love Jesus, but... yeah. So I think going back, I think it, it does answer. I think you ask a good question. Why would this article be written in the first place? And I think there, there, there's this fear out there that, that people uh, get, their, get their information or get their inspiration uh, from people who are holding the text lightly. And also, um, there seems to be this movement in our culture and therefore in our Christian culture as well uh, that seems to celebrate people uh, who may have a contrarian view than the orthodox view. So I think that's what this author is trying to get at yeah. a little bit. Um, it probably swings too far the other way, um, but some of these are interesting. The, the I say, uh, they say I love Jesus, but uh, is an interesting one because um, this person says, if you Google I love Jesus, but you'll find things like I love Jesus, but I like to cuss. Or things like that, um, and I think what what is right about this is sometimes in Christianity there's this cool factor hmm. for being rebellious, sure. of being different from the church or different from our parents or different from how how things have always been. Um, but I also do want our people to be able to say, "Hey, I really love Jesus, but I don't know everything," or "But." Sometimes life is hard. Yes. Or sometimes I doubt. Yes. Dare, dare I say, I, I doubt, I struggle. Like, I, to me, that's actually the place of authenticity that I think 
is often missing in the church is the freedom to say, I mean, I'm team Jesus. I believe in the resurrection, but I got to be honest right now in the midst of what I'm facing, I'm struggling. Yeah. Like, isn't, isn't scripture filled with people who had that exact same experience? Man, I love Jesus. But like, this is even Paul saying, man, I don't do what I want to do. I keep doing what I don't want to do. Like, that to me is maybe an ancient way of sort of saying, I love Jesus, but there is this humanity, this thing that I'm wrestling in the midst of right now that I'm, I'm not sure what to do with. So like, to me, to be honest, that, that first one is potentially divisive in a way that I, I'm not, just not sure that it's helpful, but maybe I, that, I think the hard one real fast is if it's, I, I love the way you said that. I love Jesus, but I struggle. I love Jesus. I think sometimes people walk a line in order to sell books and stuff that says more, I love Jesus, but I'm going to do this. Oh, okay. I love Jesus, but I'm going to, I'm going to push the envelope over here for the sake of maybe they really believe it or it's the sake of getting noticed. Yeah. Um, I, I'm amening what you said about I love Jesus, but I don't have all the answers. Right. I love Jesus, but I don't have life all figured out. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and it feels like sometimes the, this I, this pushing back on the butt is is trying to subtly imply that like we shouldn't have struggles, we shouldn't have doubts, Absolutely. and we shouldn't be faced with things that don't. I mean, following Jesus isn't always just simply about behaving, about playing nice. Sometimes that's speaking truth to power. Sometimes that's standing with people that no one else will stand with. Sometimes following Jesus looks very different than what we think I, you know, I love Jesus, yep. kumbaya, looks like. Right, tell me what you think of the second one. Uh, they make it a point to separate a relationship with Jesus from religion. So we're, we're reading these, these, uh, these ten signs by this article. There's ten signs that the Christian authors you're following are subtly teaching unbiblical ideas. So number two, they're separating this idea of a relationship uh, with Jesus from religion. What do, you, what do you think of that one? Yeah, I, I want to keep those two things tied together. I think what's coming out in this is religion is becoming a bit of a code word for fundamentalism. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, kind of the Pharisees in the Bible. There are There is talk in the Bible of true religion, right? The book of James, right? right? True religion glorifies God. It isn't something she writes here that Christians should denounce. Um, but I get the statement. That when people say I, when they emphasize relationship over religion, what they're saying is, um, I, I want to care about people. I want to be in relationship with Jesus. It's not all about rules, right? Uh, again, I think we're really good though at swinging the pendulum too far on both ends of this. It's not all about the rules, but there are rules that help guide and shape that we need to think about. Uh, I, I feel like in each one of these, I'm going to be like, no, well, let's not swing too far, <laughs> right? Um, and so I, I do get uneasy when someone's just like, it's just about the relationship. It doesn't matter how I live because the relationship is going to change how you live. That's true. Um, but I also think this author is is going too far. Right. And Jesus, you know, is saying, I, he, I didn't come to abolish the law, but yes. to fulfill it. And we yes. talked about this last week, this new law that I'm giving, this new command is love one another. Love yes. one another as I have loved you. And this, I think you're, I think you're spot on. This idea that, you know, Paul even addresses it. Should should I go on sinning so that grace increases? That's not the point at all. Yeah. That's not the goal. I, I'm, I'm right there with you. I think sometimes religion as a construct, as an idea, gets such a bum rap that we just want to we want to toss it out with uh, with everything else. Number right. three is going to get you. Yeah, I'm, I know I'm that it is. I'm going to you up here. I can see it already. There's a lot of talk about authenticity and messiness. That bothers me so much. What what are we What are we communicating if the heading of this article is, hey, hey, Christian readers, like, watch out. These authors might be subtly leading you astray. Number three on their list, 
is if they talk about authenticity or messiness. That that honestly that rails against me in so many ways because what's the what's the antidote to to not address those things to not at all talk about being authentic, being transparent, being messy, and and again may, maybe part of what the the subtext is like, don't over glorify it. That's fine, but. To, to issue this as a warning, man, Christian yeah. writers talking about authentic, messy things, stay away. Yeah. I, that that uh, that bums me out. If I'm going to guess, I'm going to give the benefit of the doubt here and say that this is a pushback to those authors or speakers or any of us who say, I'm messy and that's just who I am. Sure. I'm never going to have to change or grow. Um, but I'm with you on that. Like, we... We need people acknowledging the mess Absolutely. and the gray and that life is hard and not everything's wrapped up in a bow. And when we get too many authors and speakers who say everything is wrapped up in a bow and then I look at my own life and it's not wrapped up in a bow, right. I must be doing something wrong. I must be a failure. God must be angry at me. Totally. This this idea, I don't think there's a truer, more profound truth than that Jesus loves you in the midst of your mess, right? That Jesus loves us as we are, not as we ought to be, because none of us are as we ought to be. And if we miss that, if we're not helping people wrestle with it and, and understand that, man, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid that we're in danger of, of putting a weight around people's necks that yes. they'll never actually be able to lift themselves. Well, uh, coming up next, we're, we're going to dive into a couple of more of these, uh, these things that this particular writer is saying that we need to avoid if a Christian author is including them in their books. And we'd love to know what you think. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show or 1160hope.com. And we will be right back here at AM 1160 Hope for you your life. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, joined by Brian Fromm on this Friday. We've been uh, unpacking this article that essentially this author is wanting to warn Christian readers of these 10 things that Christian or so-called Christian, by their words, authors are subtly leading them astray and uh, I feel like things have already gotten a little heated. Do you feel the heat? Yeah, a little bit. And there, I, I want to get back to why I think this article is written. There seems to be, on a more conservative side, a, a both a distrust and an uneasiness uh, of how some Christian authors seem to be going, in their opinion, too far uh, mm-hmm. away from orthodoxy or away from um, centuries-old belief sure. and practice. Sure, sure. Yeah, which I, I can commend that. And you can mm-hmm. find the article for yourself at christianmomthoughts.com. But here here at, uh, at number four, uh, they said they promote the value of questions over the value of answers. Mm-hmm. This is another one of those things that, for me, kind of <laughs> kind of grinds my gears because I think so often the church has is touted itself as the the place to come for answers rather than a, a, a safe place to explore questions, like honest questions. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying you dismiss answers. There's certain things that, for me, are are central, right? Like, God created the world. Yep. That's that's central for me. But, like, how he did it? Was it this or that? Like, to, to me, that that's in the open hand. Like, yes. the resurrection, that's close hand for me. Yep. That's But there's so much else, though, around, like, what it means to just simply be a Christ follower in the world that to to shut down authors that are engaging in questions yep. to me it is a is a little problematic i would agree with that when we shut down questions we all know that that's how learning is best done is in questioning uh, but i like how you did it there i think that what we need to say is 
not every question has an answer, but not every question doesn't have an answer. Mm. And so where we can point to objective biblical truth, we want to say, no, 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 there is an answer to this question, uh, or there is a discussion that we should jump off on. Not everybody, not all questions are equal. Let's sure. put it that way. Yeah. Uh, I think we'd agree with that one. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah. This, uh, this number six here, that says they focus almost entirely on Christian action to the exclusion of belief. Which, you know, some, some might call that like a social justice gospel, mm-hmm. which for me, is, I've always had a love-hate relationship even with that term yep. because it's hard for me to like look at the life of Jesus and not say, yeah, there, there was some social action there. There was some, there, he, he led with this heart of compassion and he was speaking truth to power and that was a part of it. The other thing that I'm bringing to that particular note is the countless people that I know that actually came to Christ mm-hmm. through these actions. Yeah. They. They didn't know where they landed theologically, but they heard of, you know, a missions trip and they figured, well, okay, I can at least yep. try it out or some sort of like local effort. And after sometimes years of just participating in some of this like life giving service in the community, like they encountered Jesus through doing that. And to me, it's, it's really dangerous, I think, for us to reverse that order. Like, oh, you don't get to, oh, no, you don't get to actually bring about social change or to love people the way that Jesus does and, until you've, signed on the dotted line mm-hmm. until you've like fully subscribed to this school of thought. Sometimes, sometimes we need to, you know, we need to say these things because we believe them. Sometimes we need to say them to believe them. Yes. Like doing the thing sometimes precedes belief. Don't you think? I do. I do. And I've never quite understood the dichotomy between belief and action. Hmm. Uh, it's always like you're, and I get it. I think they're pushing back against like, we're not primarily social justice people. Yeah. Like we're about, Jesus, and we're about theology, but but Jesus was about social justice, and yep. so the, I don't think the question is is how we live more important than what we believe. I think what really the answer is what we believe has to lead to how we live, yeah, right. or it's showing something about what we say our so called beliefs. That's good. Our beliefs need to uh, Christians should be the most socially justice, but <laughs> people around. Yeah, uh, we should be people of action because our belief drives that, but we don't do that. Apart from belief, does that make sense? Yeah, I our, get that. our justice and our action is anchored in our belief, but I don't understand the dichotomy between the two. It seems like we're we're pitting two things against each other that that don't need to be pitted, right? Oh, they're to, together to say no. You need to you need to be in this place of belief before you can do any of that. I, I would say, man, if you want to be a part of what we're doing in the neighborhood in the city, yeah. like as a pastor, I'm like, man, come alongside us and encounter Jesus as you do that. Like, meet the people who are. Like putting hands and feet to what it is that we're talking about on a Sunday. And what part of the Gospels ever leads to inaction? Yeah, right. It just doesn't. Right. And so I, I think these are these two of all of them, I think, are just wedded together. Okay, so this this one this one might get me in some trouble. Uh, number eight says they regularly encourage you to be your true self or to be true to yourself. What do, what do you think about that idea in Christian thought to be true to yourself or be your true self or is that – problematic is that pithy hallmark bubblegum theology or is there there's there some truth to that there, there's some truth there's some truth to that uh what i would like to say is this uh be true to yourself in christ <laughs> hmm. uh there's a lot of sinfulness there, there's fallenness to us there's sinfulness that if i'm true to myself not only could get me in trouble, but is unchristlike. I think in Christ we're a new creation, yeah. but we're not the same people. Right. Like you and I are very different people. Me even and though, you. yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Correct. We're very different people, even though we are both followers of Jesus. Yep. 
And so therefore, I would want to encourage you, be true to yourself hmm. in Christ, who Jesus has made you. And I'm going to be, I should be true to myself and who Jesus has made me. There's not some monolithic Christian that we all are supposed to be. Hmm. Where it becomes dangerous is where being true to yourself looks different than being Christ-like and being redeemed and a new creation. Sure. Does any of this wrestle with the idea of, like, original sin? Like, do you believe that, like, could someone say, man, uh, in Jesus, part of what Jesus came to do is actually to make you into your truest self. Mm-hmm. He, he's the fullest, truest human, and it's 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 through Christ, it's through his Holy Spirit that we become fully who we actually are versus, oh, man, you, you you know, you have this, this splotch, and now, you, now you're this new person. Yeah, yeah. Is, is part of what Jesus came to do is actually make, make us who we actually truly are. Sure. I like the way you put that. I think that is true. I just don't think a fruit of that is going to be non-Christ-like behavior or non-Christ-like totally agree. belief. No, nope, that's, that's a good distinction. Go. All right, let's wrap it up with this one. Number 10. Uh, this is, if you're just joining us, 10 signs the Christian authors you're following are subtly teaching unbiblical ideas they write, uh, they make claims about what it means to love others without addressing what it means to love God. And lo and behold, I think I totally agree with this one. <laughs> I, I, really, I really do. I think so often it's, it can be really um, hip. It can be really kind of into, you know, like love the people, which we need to do. That has to be, obviously, he boiled it down to two things, love God, love others. Yep. But we do kind of sometimes skip right over, man, does loving God off, often mean Obedience. Yes. It means like saying no to the sin and the toxicity that I, I'm sometimes drawn to do. Yes. And that's tough to talk about sometimes. Yes. And I totally agree with that. And does me loving God primarily going to lead me to be able to love others better? Hmm. So is the work of the Holy Spirit in my life, is me becoming understanding more of who God is and who he's made me? I feel like the fruit of that is going to be that I'm going to be able to more love people the way Jesus loved others. So so maybe not trying to love others out of my own power, I'm probably going to do that poorly, but instead saying, man, if I just love God with all that I have and then live out as as he's called me to live, part of that's going to be to be more loving than I can be in myself. That's good. That's good. Well, coming up next, uh, there is a 30-year low Infertility is what experts are saying, and one author believes that it's a lack of paid family leave uh, that's leading to this decline. So that's coming up next here on The Common Good at AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm. Show all about diving into the the gray, the messy, the tension, but also the stuff that we have in common, right? The things mm-hmm. that we ask, whether we vocalize them or not, whether we speak them to anybody, we know that there's things that we wrestle with, and there's sometimes not easy, simple, black and white answers. And so, we want to be a show that's about exploring and diving into that. You can find us on Facebook uh, by typing in the Common Good Radio Show. You can also go to 1160hope.com. You can find all of our previous shows. They're all podcasts. You can find on Apple and iTunes and all that stuff. And we would love to hear from you, interact with you, engage with you, because that's what this show is all about. And today, we have a very special guest uh, named Candy Cushman. She is the leading national expert on education issues affecting public and private education. Well, welcome to the show, Candy. Thanks. It's great to be with you guys. Great. And Candy, you're at Focus on the Family. Is that correct? That's right, here in Colorado Springs. No, it sounds nice out there. She was telling us it's unseasonably warm out there, which sounds really nice at 
this time of day out in Chicago. Let me ask you a quick question, Candy. A little bit of background. I have a daughter who's in high school. I have a son who's in the fifth grade and a daughter who's in the fourth grade. So I'm very interested in the work you're doing uh, of these education issues and specifically kind of religious freedom uh, and what kids can do. So I guess on a base level, I'm just uh, uh, curious, would you say that religious freedom uh, and things kids are able to talk about in the public school, is it getting better, in your opinion? Is it getting worse? What is kind of the state of the public school for you right now? Well, I feel like the last five years or so, we've been getting more communications from families where the kids are being told things like, hey, is that your Bible on your desk? You better put that away because that might offend someone. Mm. So I feel like the communications we're getting at Focus are that where that's happening more frequently. And then also that's, you know, uh, collaborated by the headlines that we're seeing nationally. Um, So I almost feel like we've kind of moved into this realm where where there's basic rights, like bowing your head to pray before lunch or meeting with some friends to to pray in the common area during free time, hmm. we're, we're starting to lose some understanding of that. And, and I don't know if that's just the increased politi- uh, politization with uh, all the sensitivity to not offending people mm-hmm. and, and people getting a little hypersensitive to that. Yeah. I, I'm not sure exactly what's driving it. Um, but I think there's a real need to let our kids know, let the next generation know what the Founding Fathers' vision was, um, uh, what our basic religious freedom rights are. Hmm. I understand that you are both the founder and facilitator uh, for the annual student-led Bring Your Bible to School Day, which empowers kids to bring their faith to school, but doing so in a respectful way. And it sounds like in the first three years, this event went from 8,000 participants to more than 360,000. Can can you tell us just a little bit more about that effort? Yeah, you know, we really didn't expect that to happen. Um, we started the event for the reasons I was just telling you. We were, we were getting communications from families kind of pointing to the need. And I guess that need was validated with this response that we saw because we started it with a test launch in 2014. And right away, even with just two or three weeks of promotion, um, 8,000 kids participated. And we thought, okay, this, this is resonating with people. This is meeting a need. Um, then the next year, it just it grew exponentially. 155,000 kids participated, mm. and it just kept you know growing up. And and we it really took us by surprise. Wow. Um, but last year we had an estimated 650,000 participating across the nation. So, I you know that's an encouraging part of this. Yeah. People can take heart. Um, these are our next leaders that are that are answering this call. That's fascinating. And I'm wondering again, as a parent with kids in the public school system. Um, what advice would you give to parents like myself or any other parents listening out there on how to kind of coach and lead their own children of how to live out their faith in the public school, which I love how it says here, uh, you want them to see all this happening in, in a respectful way. What would be some, uh, some advice you'd give maybe to some parents out there who are listening? Well, I think it's important to, to keep it celebratory and fun. That, that we, This is something to rejoice about, the freedoms that we do have, that we have the light shining within us. Um, we have an opportunity to share God's love and to be bold about that. And that's why with Bring Your Bible to School Day, we wanted to make it something fun and celebratory, um, you know, not dire and stern. And, and so um, that's been a fun part of doing this, is that all these students are celebrating together. Mm. So first of all, I would I would say Bring Your Bible to School Day is a great entry point mm-hmm. um, for just taking that one little set, just bring your Bible to school, 
Um, or if you, you know, if you're homeschooled, you can, as a family, take it somewhere in a public place and maybe uh, start a conversation. And we have easy-to-use tools on there for just asking basic questions, like, you know, what if there's a God and He cares about the details of our lives? Hmm. How, how would that change how you're actually living or how, mm-hmm. um, how you're thinking? And, and just starting with a basic question or being prepared to start a conversation with someone ask you, what is that you're reading? <laughs> you know, um, with, the, with the little kids, we have fun coloring sheets and um, Bible lessons that parents can do with them or do activities in Sunday school, and all this is on bringyourbible.org. Okay. And of course, you know, when you've got younger teens, we've got lots of videos on there, both from Christian music artists, as well as the students themselves that are participating. And I think it's a great thing to just watch some of those videos and talk about it as a family. And it's great because you can have, you know, you have students talking to other students through those videos. Oh, that's great. And not to put you on the spot, i got a quick question. Um, I don't know if you have kids or what age they are at, but in this climate that you were describing before, uh, if your kids were coming of age, again, I don't know if you have kids or what age, would you put them in the public school or would you be more tend towards the private school? Um, Where's your heart at this in this conversation more uh, as a mom? Well, what we want to do at Focus is equip families to make the best choices for their unique situation because mm. everybody's got a unique situation. Right. Um, and one thing we want to keep in mind is what, while there are serious concerns about public schools, yeah. I, do, I do not want to downplay that. I mean, when you have all of these curriculum battles happening with core sexuality issues and all the gender confusion issues, it is serious. And that, that's something that every family should consider. Um, but at the same time, we have 90% of school-age kids in the public schools, and mm-hmm. that, that's where the majority of the next generation is. So e- even if you're making a wise decision to homeschool or put them in a private school if you have that opportunity through a school choice program or a good charter school, even if you're able to do that, let's not forget all those kids in the public schools and how can we still work together as a Christian community to have a redemptive impact in that Absolutely. sphere. Yeah, so that's kind of, that's kind of how I'm thinking about it. Is um, we we work to both educate families on what their choices are, and then also to ha- have a redemptive impact in that public sphere. So, so Candy, you, you don't know this about me, but I was I was homeschooled, and my oldest child is just a little over a year, so this isn't even really a dialogue in my house yet. But would you just maybe a minute or less, like what where, what's the future hold? Like where where are we going? What what are ways that families like me can prepare or research or think critically, think intelligently about some of these issues? And uh, just to, just speak to those young families that maybe aren't yet um, facing this head on yet, but will in the years to come. Well, first of all, I would encourage you that you're on the cutting edge because you, we know that there are probably at least 2 million homeschooling families <laughs> out there. And, and while that may sound small compared to 50 million right in public schools, at the same time, that they have the fastest growth. The charter schools, um, the homeschooling, they actually have a faster growth rate. So I think that points to the fact that the, the next generation, they're, they're going to be on the edge of leading our nation. And I know that's, I can tell that's going to be true with your kids. <laughs> <laughs> so. well, I, I appreciate that, Candy. Thanks for, uh, thanks for joining us on The Common Good. Thank you so much. We're brand new at all of this, so I appreciate you sharing your heart and your vision and what you do. Uh, also, Focus on the Family with Jim Daly can be heard every weekday from 1130 to noon right here on AM 1160. And uh, coming up next, 
We're going to share just some lighthearted stuff that we found mm-hmm. online, which we know not everything we read online can be true, but, but it certainly can be funny, ridiculous and funny, <laughs> right? So uh, join us for that on uh, The Common Good at AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. I just never know what music our producer Josh is going to choose for us. I feel like he's feeling himself a little bit right now. He's feeling, <laughs> yes, feeling mold right now. If you could see the smile across his face right now, it is incredible. Welcome to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, joined by Brian Fromm. And uh, at the end of every hour, we try to share some lighthearted stories that we found online just to, you know... Sometimes pop the balloon a little pop bit. Pop the balloon, yeah. yeah. Come up for air a little bit. And some of these are bizarre. Some of them are really funny, but... The show is designed to dive into the mess and the gray and the tension, and sometimes when there's tension, you need to laugh a little bit. You need to breathe and lower the shoulders, so uh, we like to share a couple of things that we found online that we think are funny, and uh, Brian's going to start us off with a story that is quite good. We seem to have a pizza theme that's going to come out of these. The first one, uh, what do we ever be joking about the first two weeks? It's always out of England. This is out of the UK. Yeah, what is going on with England? I'm, there's part of me that wants to go, after all these stories, I want to go spend some time in England. <laughs> Just to be like, wow, okay, England, yeah, you are. You are kind of crazy right now. Let's go do a show in England then. Oh, well, I don't think we've been around long enough to try to pitch that <laughs> good th- to pitch that just yet. <laughs> but maybe, maybe. Uh, here's the story. Mom calls police after Domino's Pizza does not deliver their, her pizza. So the story basically goes, the mom was waiting on her pizza. The kids ordered this big pizza, and they're waiting on it, and it didn't come in time. And instead of calling Domino's, she called the police. Whoa. I feel like that is a bad use of uh, the police. I mean, woman wants her pizza, though. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't we read a story about a guy speeding to get a kebab? Clearly, people are into uh, including law enforcement when it comes to food that they're interested in, right? So the quote here was, she said, I phoned the police to ask if they could help. I was nearly crying. They said there was nothing they could do, and I had to call Domino's. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine being the guy at Domino's that got that call? Like, yeah, hey, I just got off the phone with the police. They said, hurry up. Said, hurry up. <laughs> right. yeah. yeah, the sheriff deputy said that you need to really move this along. <laughs> Keeping this uh, this pizza theme, uh, here, here's a story about my beloved Little Caesars. I'm from Detroit, Michigan. So this, is Little Caesars a Detroit thing? It is a Detroit thing. It's a Mike Illich thing who uh, also, you know, he passed recently, but he owned the uh, the Tigers and the Red Wings and Little, Little Caesars in Detroit. It's like it's like pizza mecca. So like, it's like uh, Detroit's claim to fame is like Little Caesars and Kid Rock. Ah, uh, why that hurts me? <laughs> I was gonna say we also had Madonna, but uh, okay, and Eminem. The yeah. list just gets better and better. My state was Bon Jovi and Bruce Springsteen and Frank Sinatra, my man. I think we're about neck and neck. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so here's the here's the headline. Uh, quote: Where am I gonna get my pizza? Man to host vigil for Little Caesars in Kmart. <laughs> so there's a Kmart that's closing, and with it, so is the Little Caesars pizza. U-Haul is planning on taking over the lease and moving into the building, but one man doesn't want to lose his hot and ready pizzas. So he's going to host a vigil for this Little Caesars in the Kmart. What do you imagine that vigil is going to look like? I, first of all, I think it's going to be one guy. <laughs> and And he's going to be holding a sign. It's like... Uh, give me my five dollar pizza yeah. or my <laughs> my breadsticks, whatever they're called there. And uh, a little Cra- s- crazy bread is crazy what it's called. Bread. <laughs> a little side story here: my children uh, love Little Caesars and Papa John's. Yeah, because they got great taste. Like 
That's delicious, delicious like, cuisine. Like if my wife and I are like, you want to get like Giordano's or Luminati's? Like they're getting out of this a little bit as they get older, but they think they'll be like, can we please get Little Caesars <laughs> and like crazy bread? I'm like, who are you? But obviously, they're 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 Detroit people. Should, should I be concerned that I have like a similar cuisine maturity as your children? <laughs> We we discussed this with the mac and cheese bucket a few That's days true. ago. That's true. I could go for a hot and ready right now. My kids, to the point that they'll bring up the first time. They remember, because it was a Super Bowl Sunday, they remember the first time we waited in line and picked up three hot and readies at the Little Caesars in Downers Grove. And uh, and they're like, oh, we love it. Can we, can, we go, go, can we go to Little Caesars again? Can we go to Little Caesars again? And I'm it. like... Really? Well, hey, it helps my budget. Yeah, like, no kidding, no kidding. Sometimes uh, it's just the little things in life, man. In fact, and unfortunately, they're growing out of that a little bit. But, uh, but yeah, no, I, I'm I'm thankful for it. Here's one for you out of New York. Nike's new golf shoes feature a coating of grass. Nike has unveiled a new version of its Air Mac One golf sneakers, featuring huh. a grass-like turf material to make the shoes blend in with the course. Nike has yet to announce a release date, but they are expected to retail for $140. First clear thought here. At which point has any golfer been like, I really wish my shoes could blend in with the courts? Like, that's the big problem with your game? My (laughs) my shoes are too visible. That's what's causing this this slice every time. My my shoes usually blend in with the courts because I'm standing in the high grass. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that was good. That sounded like we planned it. Sometime we'll play golf together and you'll realize this is the case, but... It, I'm, I, I'm, you could Google this because I'm looking at the picture, but that doesn't do you much good on radio right now. But I'm looking at the picture, and they legitimately are covered with grass. Okay, so how much did you say they cost? 140 bucks. So these grass-covered shoes cost some serious green is what you're saying. <laughs> is, that, is, that, you, is that fair to say? <laughs> you did not just do that. <laughs> I, I did. I can't help myself. It's a sickness. I can't it's turn a, it it's off. It's a grass-like turf material, so you don't need to mow the shoe. Uh, no, because that was my big concern. What's the it's not ma- going to die? Not going to turn brown. <laughs> my big concern was not what's the maintenance on these shoes going to be. That's that's the thing that's really keeping me up at night. Okay, this one uh, is sort of like a huh, little sad. The heading kind of tells it all. It says Good Samaritan's vehicle stolen <laughs> after stopping to help crash victims. This is out of Florida. It's always out of Florida. It's <laughs> London or Florida. <laughs> London or Florida? We're going to have to rename the show London or Florida. But that's, I mean, you can find the article online, but that's that's essentially the whole story. This guy pulled over to uh, to help some people that were in a crash, and while he was doing so, can you just uh, emotionally put yourself there for a moment? Like, he's probably got a busy day or things to go to. He pulls over to help, and uh, like while he's checking on everybody, making sure they're okay, he like hears his car behind him <laughs> peel out and drive down the road. Like... What is wrong with the world? I, I think the answer for me would be I would never help another person again. <laughs> You're such a good pastor, Brian. Because it's unbelievable. You would have to be thinking, like, how how did this happen to me? Like, uh, we all have those moments where we're going, uh, I must have done something wrong. Like, something, mm. something turned against me here. Uh, but, man, got his car stolen <laughs> while helping the Good Samaritans. And so... I don't know. So we've got pizza, pizza. That was really good. We've got two pizzas. We've got grass-covered shoes. Sure. And now we've got a good Samaritan uh, who who has lost his car. That Those are some kickers today, man. Yeah, that's – I mean, I feel bad that we landed on such a sad note, though. Like, what's the moral of the story there? Just don't help anyone ever? <laughs> I, I like to focus on the pizza one. Let me quickly ask you a pizza question. <laughs> sure. 
Because that was two of ours, and now I'm hungry. Right, obviously. Uh, thoughts on New York-style pizza? Remember, I'm an East Coast guy versus like a Little Caesars versus a deep dish pizza. Oh, I, this answer is going to get me in trouble, so I'm going to plead the fifth right now. No, no, no. Go for it. We, I'm, not, I'm not doing it. You can't back me to this corner. It depends on the mood. It depends on the day. It depends on the mood. Uh, but I, I really do. I, I love a good pan pizza. Now, my wife okay. is from this area. And so she's slowly converting me, I think, to deep dishesism. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sure. <laughs> I, I, sure. I, I like it a whole lot more than when I moved here, you know, 15 years ago. But uh, I think I think pan pizza for me is still the way to go. What about what about you? Uh, I am a hundred percent New York style, really thin. Grease is dripping pizza. Really, hundred percent of the time. Every time. <laughs> okay, we're going to talk about that later. Then. <laughs> Coming up next, we're going to talk about Conan O'Brien and his opinion of death and mortality. It's a really interesting thing that he's kind of shared, and we're going to dive into that topic a little bit more right here on The Common Good at AM 1160. Hope for your life. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. friends welcome to the common good my name is ian simpkins joined by brian Fromm. this show is all about diving into the gray the messiness the uh the complicated whether we like to admit it or not sometimes life just doesn't have easy answers and that's kind of been our heartbeat and our mission for this show is to help kind of engage intelligently to even disagree at times Mm -hmm. to not always come to a conclusion and that's what I really enjoyed about even kind of some of our dynamic is we don't always agree. We don't always come to the same conclusions. Right, right. And so it's been it's, it's been fun to have those conversations and to see those conversations continue on Facebook and other places, but then also have laughs and joke around uh, and do a little bit of both. So, uh, yeah, I'm excited. It's Friday. Weekend's coming. That's right. And uh, excited to, to be with you all for one more hour here today. And speaking of Facebook, you can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. You'll see our two ugly mugs on there, <laughs> and you can uh, weigh in on stuff we're posting or share your own thoughts. We'd love to interact with you there. Well, I don't know about you, but uh, I'm a big Conan O'Brien fan. I have been for a long time. I followed his career um, maybe too closely at times. If, if I had to guess, I would have pegged you as a Conan O'Brien fan. <laughs> it's, the, it's the height of my hair, isn't it? That's, that's what it is. <laughs> Quite a poof today. But um, Conan, uh, I, I think in the last couple of years in particular, has gotten really honest about um, some more trivial um, realities and conversations. And some of the things that are he's talking about are actually um, really human, really honest. Yeah. And sometimes the kind of stuff that you wouldn't expect to hear from a comedian, and uh, you came across something that is really fascinating. Why don't you, why don't you share that? Yeah, this story is is amazing. It's an interview with Conan O'Brien, and he's talking about uh, kind of he's changing his show, and it's actually going to be shorter, and it's going to change kind of its focus a little bit. And this person was kind of pressing him about this, and they asked Conan, is this how you want to go out with a show that gets smaller and smaller until it's gone? And mm. he kind of explains his thinking, but then he says this. Uh, in this culture, two years later, it's going to be who's Con- who's Conan. Mm. This is going to sound grim, but eventually, all our graves go unattended. 
Uh, and the guy says, you're right, but that sounds grim. And, and Conan O'Brien goes, sorry, but Calvin Coolidge was a pretty popular president. I've been to his grave in Vermont. It has the presidential seal on it. Nobody was there. And by the way, I'm the only late night host who's ever been to that grave. <laughs> and then he goes on to talk about a conversation with Albert Brooks. And it ends this way. It doesn't matter. You'll be forgotten. I'll be forgotten. We'll all be forgotten. Uh, it's so funny because you'd think that would depress me, but I was walking on the air after that. So Conan seems to be having this almost existential discussion of his own mortality. Yeah, no kidding. Both of his professional mortality, but also there's some once you start bringing graves into the into the conversation and being forgotten two years later. Mm. Um, man, heavy stuff from a comedian. Although they often say comedians are the darkest people, but yeah. um, it really kind of kind of forces you to think about questions of mortality, of purpose, yeah. uh, and of impact. Yeah, well, it, it's interesting, too, because I think you're right. Comedians not always necessarily are the darkest, but mm-hmm. they, they seem to, like, cut through the noise. I think in a lot of ways, and this this is maybe a whole thing we could talk about later, that comedians are like modern-day prophets. They, mm. they kind of see beyond the veil, uh, beyond the noise of, like, everyday life, and that's why I think they connect to us, because yeah. they identify things. So it would make sense that... They would use that skill, that 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 gift, that ability to make us laugh, but to also maybe make us think, to make us pause. And mm-hmm. so I'm actually not surprised at all that that he would talk about this in particular. But it, it made me think of uh, this Canadian singer named Jan Arden, and she said, um, "To not think of dying is to not think of living." Like mm-hmm. to kind of juxtapose that it's not morbid to think about death. It's not depressing. It actually helps illuminate the here and now. It's probably why Conan said things like, "I felt like a weight lifted off." There actually yeah. is some freedom in in knowing that and i don't know that it's as dark as it seems at first but the, it's surprising to me though because like you and i are both pastors yes and one of the strange things about being invited into you know situations like funerals is that you start to notice trends and one of the things mm-hmm. that that i noticed and i you know i just officiated a funeral like a week ago wow. and um it's always so heavy and and uh, heartbreaking and so you weep with the family and it it's so it's so um, dark at times. But then I always look at the people gathered, and there's always these conversations of like, man, why has it been so long since we – and everyone always says the same thing. Well, life got in the way. Mm-hmm. Like some, sometimes this tragedy seems to like wake us up out of this sleepwalk state of like, oh, you're an important person in my life, and I just wasn't paying attention. I was just sort of on autopilot. Sometimes thinking about death and mortality can actually motivate us. To, to make better choices in the here and now, don't you think? Oh, and to focus on what's actually important. Yeah, right. Uh, so Paul in the book of Philippians, there's that verse. I often joke that I think this is the most tattooed verse on guys' forearms, right? <laughs> but he's, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Yeah. And, and Paul seemed to have this understanding that, hey, I'm not only am I going to die, but but for the believer – Death is gain. Yeah, it's right. it's to usher us into perfect relationship with Jesus. But but understanding that it puts into focus everything about our lives here. For me now, however long I have to live, is Christ. To live is to is to follow Jesus, to know Jesus, to make Him known. Um, and it, it like you said, it kind of pushes away all of the things that we give so much importance to and so much of our time. That right. in light of death, you're like, no. Maybe that wasn't that important cosmically or eternally. It's yeah, still no important kidding. now. It doesn't mean like we're not being like, hey, yeah, just be a monk for your life and quit your job and whatever. <laughs> right, right. But it's about prioritization. And yeah. I, th- I think that 
when we have death in mind, I think you make a great point. When we have death in mind, it actually causes us to live more. Yeah, And right. to live with greater intentionality and to live for the things that when the end comes, we'll be proud of the fact that we lived for these things. That's right. The, the other thing that I, I notice is, is how, uh, how much we struggle with, the, with death as a mm-hmm. culture. And uh, I remember when I was in India years ago, I was staying at this uh, hostel, and you know it was 120 degrees out. It was just in the middle of summer. Oh. It was brutal. The only thing there to cool me was this overhead fan. And um, in the middle of the night, there was a power outage. Uh, but also, the woman that was staying beneath me, all, she passed in the night, and she was you know elderly, oh. but she passed. So I woke up to the sound of a community of people that were in a room just screaming and wailing. And the power was out, so it was you know boiling in my room. And my first waking thought, of course, was. I'm in hell. Somehow I've been transported <laughs> to hell. I don't know how this happened. But I asked questions about about their grieving process. And that's like it's built into their tradition that you gather and you wow. vocally like wail and scream. And then I think about how we tend to do things. Yep. Is, you know, we put him and her in their finest clothes and we put, put makeup on their face. And we even say things like, oh, wow, he looks so good. Mm-hmm. And, I was, and I don't mean to be irreverent, but sometimes I think, is that the point? Yeah. Like we try to make them look as alive as possible to kind of help us cope with the the bittersweet particularly for the death of a believer it's yeah. bitter and sweet sweet that they're you know there's no more pain or suffering for them but it's also bitter for us because we're yeah. experiencing real heartache and yeah. i don't know that we enter into the messiness and pain of, of death very well particularly as a culture i think that's a really valid point and also the thing that i get from this conan story is you know what we what's the old saying that that you're going to be forgotten a generation from now, two generations from now, certainly by three generations yeah. from now. Solomon says that in the book of Ecclesiastes we talked about earlier in the week. Um, and so what are you going to do with your time that makes an impact? That's right. And, and recognizing the temporal is going to be forgotten. Yep. What? How does the fact that we are temporal beings but we have eternity ahead of us, how does that affect how I live now? It really, like you said, I like how you put it, it causes us to live uh, more That's and great. live for what's more important. That's such a good challenge. Well, coming up next, we're going to talk about a feel-good story about a homeless man and a Chiefs player that uh, I think you're really, really going to not only be challenged by, but enjoy. Uh, So that's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. This song still creeps me out. I'm not going to lie. I know that you're dancing right now. I'm just grooving. (laughs) Just grooving. Can't groove to songs that creep me out, Just just as a policy. Welcome to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, joined by Brian Fromm. Both of us are pastors living in the real world, but also... In some ways, like we were just talking about, uh, engaging into the messiness of death and sorrow and grief, and it's a very—it's a strange profession that we've chosen yes. uh, that God's calling us to. But I, I don't think I would—I don't trade it for the world. Oh, it's if, great. Uh, if you want to engage with the dialogue with us, uh, you can go to the website eleven sixty hope dot com. You can find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show, and we'll post articles and questions there. We'd love to hear your thoughts. You can engage there. And uh, I mentioned that we were going to. Tell a story that's it's a feel good story, but it also kind of packs a punch. And I'll just I'll read the headline, and then uh, and then Brian will kind of you know give you some of the details. He says uh, the headline says, "I want to give back." Man became a sensation. Helping Chiefs player has hard past. Yeah, so the Chiefs player is the Kansas City Chiefs lineman uh, Jeff Allen. Jeff Allen was on his way uh, to the Chiefs playoff game this past Saturday at Arrowhead Stadium. And sometimes you forget, like, these guys just drive to the stadium, right? They don't just appear. They've got to get there. They have to navigate traffic. (laughs) So Jeff Allen, it was really snowing a lot. If you watch the Chiefs-Colts game, there was a lot of snow there. And Jeff Allen got his car stuck in a snowbank. 
well, people don't know who he is, right? Like he's not wearing his uniform and pads and a helmet when so he, he gets he out just of looks his like car, a guy, right? Just, right. Probably a really big guy right. if he's a lineman. <laughs> he got stuck, and then a good Samaritan came and helped him out. Uh, and this uh, good Samaritan by the name of Dave Cochran never asked for anything. He didn't know that that he was helping a Chiefs lineman. Mm. He was just helping somebody, uh, and. Uh, after the game, Jeff Allen posted. This is the beauty of Twitter. Sometimes Twitter's so bad, but sometimes, right, it could be really helpful. He yeah. took a picture uh, of he had a picture of himself, and he just said, "Listen, somebody helped me, and I want to reward them." Wow. He didn't know his name, didn't know anything, uh, and so social media went crazy I trying to it. find this guy. Love it. Well, it turns out that Dave Cochran uh, is a homeless guy. Whoa. He's a homeless guy in the city, and he comes from a real checkered past, right? He's got a criminal record. He's got some substance abuse issues, but he's trying to pull himself up. So you've got this convergence of the NFL guy and the feel-good t- uh, Twitter and this guy who's really down and out. But even in the midst of his struggle, he's helping this guy in the mm. snow on the side of the road. Well, we all know what happens, right? Twitter and everything goes crazy. GoFundMe page gets put up. No kidding. Uh, had a $10,000 goal for him. And it was raised in less than a day. Whoa. A dental group wants to offer free dental work. A veterinarian office wants to care for his dog uh, that was in Concord's arms while he was being interviewed. And it just keeps going. It keeps going. Uh, and uh, it said here, Alan's tweets drew thousands of reactions, and it eventually got to its target. And so it's been this whole thing now of how do we help this guy? Right. How do we get to help this guy? And he had this quote, this uh, Dave Cochran had this quote. He said, I've lost a lot of years. I want a better life for me, my fiance and my son. Wow. Whatever comes, he'll still be the guy who pulls over and checks on a stranger who might need help because that's who he's always been. And you know what? When I read this story, Ian, I was... We do so many stories or we, re- we see so many things online or on television that just cause you to go, like, humanity's broken. Yeah, right. Like, like people aren't good ever. <laughs> uh, and, man, like, maybe the depravity of man is a lot worse than I ever thought. <laughs> and then you read stories like this, and that's what I told you. I'm like, can we just do a feel-good story? Yeah. Like, uh, I understand the critic in all of us, or the cynic, I should say, in all of us is like, well, this is going to fall apart in a week somehow. We've all seen these <laughs> right. stories. But right now, this is a happy story, yep. the convergence of sports and fame and social media and a guy who needs help, Yeah. Um, but who was helping other people, even though uh, he more needed help probably than, than the guy in the ditch. I love that. I, yeah. The thing that I kept thinking of as I was hearing you share that, too, is that um, God will move through whomever he yes. desires to, right? And and not just sometimes, but I think often in the most unsuspecting places. That that to me seems like central to the Gospels, as Jesus is often saying, um, man, the people who are closest to the kingdom of God might actually surprise you. Like, yeah. you've created this yep. hierarchy. You've created this this ladder. In fact, what have I told you that the the marginalized, the broken, the child, that they're, they actually get it more than you do. And I hear stories like this, and I think, wow, man, I love... I love just the honesty of his stories. Like, I didn't know what well, I wasn't doing it to get yep. you know recognition or fame. And I maybe I'll tell this story some other time. But I you know I spent a week on the streets in in Philadelphia and, and met these people and heard their stories and was had a front row seat to some of these kinds of stories. Like I don't actually think that's a fluke. I think a lot of these men and women when they, when you've lost everything, you're left with like who who am I actually? Mm-hmm. And when they lead out of their heart. Uh, they they just see people because they know what it's like to be in a tough spot, to be on the receiving end of 
um, criticism or um, disdain. And I think that there's a, a really beautiful motivation on their part to say, I don't want anyone to ever feel the way that I'm feeling now. Yeah, it's challenging because when I go and run into people, you know, if I'm in Chicago or something or even in Downers Grove where I live and, and you see the homeless guy by the train station or something, it's not just pity, but it's like a dehumanizing. You're right. like, oh, that, that person. Like it's, a diff, like it's a lower type of person. And right. none of us would ever verbally say that, but you, you kind of think it. Um, but to see that that somebody who is legitimately in need still has a heart of compassion mm. – um, like you just said, like bigger than um, uh, bigger than most people at all um, is really both challenging. And I like how you said, like God uses the broken God throughout the Gospels. Jesus is not only drawn to, but but like he is building into right. uh, the least of these right. and um, and calling them. Yeah, it's I mean, so think of the disciples. You know, we think of the disciples in terms of like guys depicted in stained glass. These these were the guys that like weren't didn't cut it. Yes, by most measurements, um, were not at all the cream of the crop, which I think is easy to miss because mm-hmm. you know in some ways we we idolize, in some cases we even worship. And he, I mean, it's this really peculiar rabbi calling fishermen and tax collectors like he seems yeah. to be in the habit of not just speaking to but actually using. The, the most unlikely people to move the gospel forward, to make his love known, I think, who are the most unlikely people in our culture, in our day mm. and age? It's stories like this. Yes. And I think, I, think, I think God smiles when we share stories like this. He's like, yes, that's the point. Yeah. You didn't see that coming. That's how the kingdom of God often works. You think it, you, you think it needs to be these grandiose – it actually starts with a mustard seed. Mm. It's surprising it's and it's, it's subversive and it's, it's radical. And I think – you know, there's all these viral videos that you know get tossed around of people doing nice things uh, for homeless men and women. One yep. of the ones that I saw recently was a guy first goes uh, throughout a park, um, saying, "I'm kind of hungry. Can I have a, a piece of your food?" And people were like, "No, get away. This is my food." Mm-hmm. And then they find a homeless guy and they gave him a whole pizza. And that same guy, you know, pretended to walk up and ask, you know, if he could have you know some of his food. Now this is a homeless guy who doesn't know when his next meal's gonna come. Yep. And he gives him half the pizza. Mm. He's like, yeah, man, I totally know what it's like. And I was like, why, why, if you have nothing, do you understand generosity so much better yep. than most of us? Yep. And I think so much of it's because we just get tied up in all the, all the trappings of you know, wealth and security. Yeah, and one of the challenging things for me in listening to this story and reading this story is um, if I had tickets to a Chiefs game or any playoff game, pretend a Bears game, whatever, yeah. and it's the playoffs – and it's cold outside, yeah. and it's snowing, yeah. I would have had a list of reasons to drive by the guy in the snowbank. Totally. I probably would have stopped if I knew it was a guy playing uh, on my right, favorite team. Right. But chances are, I do it all the time, but chances are in that exact situation, I would have been like, I'm sure he's got AAA. He's going to call somebody. Somebody else is going to stop with a truck. Right. I've got a, a schedule here. And I probably would have just driven by. And I feel really convicted about that. Same, and, same and here. You know what? When I feel convicted, I want other people to feel convicted. So there you go, Is people. Is that why we went into ministry? Would, yes, exactly. <laughs> would you have stopped? Yeah. Would you have stopped? Yep. And maybe maybe that's the lesson to be learned here is to have our eyes open for opportunities, not only to be used, but to see and celebrate other people also doing the same. I love this discussion. Well, com- com- coming up next. We're going to dive into a topic that's extremely personal for you and I, uh, and it's a story we found called Five Reasons Pastors Leave. Five Reasons Pastors Leave. That's coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, joined by Brian Fromm. 
You can find us online on Facebook, just the Common Good Radio Show, or you can go to 1160hope.com and find all information, our bios, plus the show is podcasted every day, so you can find all that stuff there. If you missed a show, we'd love for you to uh, interact with us there. And as we've mentioned a couple of times, Brian and I are pastors. We're pastors in Chicagoland, and uh, with that comes with a whole myriad of experiences, and uh, we came across this story uh, at biblicalleadership.com, and the title intrigued me. It's called Five Reasons Why Pastors Leave the Ministry. I think we should do this family feud style. Like, one of us shouldn't know, but like, <laughs> the number one answer. But in all honesty, as pastors, you're at, at the Yellow Box in Naperville. I'm a, I'm a pastor at Four Corners Community Church in Darien. And like right now, I think about people that are getting excited for the weekend. I'm totally excited for the weekend, but yep. also for a pastor, you've got Sundays coming. Right, right. And so the weekend actually is fun because your kids are home and this and that, but it's also a raise of tension. You're kind of like, oh, the weekend's coming. And, yep. and you know what happens when Sunday's over. You start thinking about next Sunday. That's right. And then you've got all the problems in your church, the, the highs and the lows. It's a job of a lot of highs and lows. And I think you and I both love our jobs yep. uh, as pastors. It's a calling. Uh, but I found I, I resonated with a lot of this. Um, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a hint here. We're going to go over there five. Yeah. And I think that my number one reason, I think that if I were to ever lose minis- leave ministry is not on here. No kidding. I think so. You don't think your reason would be one of these five? I, I looked at the five, I think. I understand all five of these, but let's go through the five. And are then you, I'd love uh, to know if one of these is your thought. Like, what is your one reason that you would leave either ministry as a whole? But I'm thinking more like your current ministry or ministry as a whole. Or just a job that you just have, Just a right? job. Sure. Right, right. All right, why don't so, you kick us off with number one? Number one's financial. Yep. That's not a surprise. Uh, it says here 70% of fat pastors, uh, 70% of pastors feel grossly underpaid. Yikes. And so I've, we've all known those pastors because you're living the grind. You're kind of working your way through it and you don't feel like you're getting paid for it well. So there comes a point, I mean, you you and I could probably fill an entire show with guys we know or girls that we know who left the ministry to go into another line of profession because they got to support their family, they yeah, said. totally. Um, so we get that. Financial is yeah. number one. And I, and I don't know that I think already we're saying, you know, this list may not uh, perfectly reflect you mm-hmm. or I or, or anybody, but the yep. fact that that many pastors feel grossly underpaid, yes. it says that more than 50% of pastors are paid $50,000 or less, many even below the poverty line based yep. on where they live, uh, I think is a really tough thing to, mm-hmm. that's a tough tension to walk because like you said, it's a calling, I want to give my life to this, but my kids are going hungry yeah. and I, ca- I can't afford the mortgage on my diapers, house. Yeah. So at what point do you... Uh, do you pull the ripcord? All right, the second one is understandable. The second one is leadership. Talk about reasons pastors leave uh, the church is leadership. goes on to say, what I mean is lack of leadership. While deacons and elders may be in positions of authority, they may also give no support to the pastor. And I think that could actually go one of two ways. Either elders, deacons, whatever the board, whatever yep. the governance looks like, offering no support or crushing support. Yes. Like, like constantly, yes. you know, like I think it, it could probably be one of – Two extremes in that category. Yeah. I'm super thankful for the elders at my church. Same. And literally last night we had this talk. Like it's the beginning of the ministry year for us. We kind of mm-hmm. run, you know, so it's the beginning of January, obviously. We had this talk where literally we put two columns on the board and, and they we had an honest, frank discussion about what is the role of the elders? Mm. What is the role of the pastors? And it was, there was some confusion. It was a really healthy conversation. It's getting at this one, either... No elder board wants to like be completely disconnected nor micromanage, and there's right. that lack of talking. All right? well, when he's talking about some of the loneliness, too, right? When, when there's not good leadership in place, uh, the pastor takes the brunt of the finger-pointing when things don't go as planned. He's the lone captain. He's navigating the seas yep. by himself. And I remember coming to 
that realization, uh, my first couple of years in ministry, it was kind of humbling. Like, no one is thinking about this church as much as you are, Ian. Yes. Like, you, that, that, is, yes. that was so eye-opening for me to just realize, hey, it's okay. That's my lay elders and staff and volunteers. Like, you're, you're carrying the weight of this, and that's okay. Yes. But help inspire your leadership. Help motivate them. Invite yes. them into conversations of accountability and direction and vision. And that's, that's hard to pull off. Absolutely. Number three. <clears throat> Number three is toxicity. It says toxicity can be fatal where, whether, where there's gossip, inside concentration, or manipulation, there's toxicity. So it's, this is just saying an unhealthy church, uh, and that will push a pastor out. Uh, and I get this one, although, man, as I read these, and I know you feel the same way, I'm super thankful for my church as I read these. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I am super thankful uh, for the leadership and the people at Four Corners and at the Yellow Box. Uh, but I get this one. We all know the people... Uh, who have just had unhealthy church experiences, and they're like, "Listen, when you combine this with financial stuff and other stuff, it's just not worth the heartache." That's right. Well, and we had a we had a caller on Wednesday too that uh, I think she said that you know when we have this toxicity, it doesn't just affect the pastor or this congregation. That that ha- that can have effects that bleed out into the neighborhood and community. Which is to your point, one more reason I'm so grateful for Yellow Box and yeah. the community as a whole because there's. Great checks and balances and accountability and people that can be honest with each other if we see stuff kind of spinning out of control. It's good. All right, this next one, whew, this one really humbled me. Uh, the category, mm. and we're talking about the five reasons pastors leave ministry, uh, is family. 80% of pastors believe pastoral ministry has negatively wow. affected their families. 80%. So how, how do we raise kids when 80% of pastors are saying, I think my kids probably look at my job, my ministry, as a negative influence, not a positive. I remember hearing a story uh, from Craig Rochelle years ago, and he talked about tucking in his little girl. Mm. And uh, it was late at night tucking her in, and the girl said, his daughter said, um, Daddy, are you going home now? He said, what are you talking about? I, I am home. He said, no, your home is the church, isn't it? Wow. And that, like, a ton of bricks for him was, yeah. everything came to a screeching halt. I need to change something about, you know, his daughter saw ministry is like this mistress to the family time. Yeah, it's so hard. And I, I, this is something that I made a commitment with my wife very early on. Like, I'm not going to sacrifice my kids. I'm not going to be a pastor whose kids hate the church. And, yeah. Um, yeah, that's a hard one. Number five, and you touched on this one earlier, is loneliness. 70% of pastors don't have a close friend and constantly fight depression, it says. And I think what this one's getting at is being a pastor can be lonely because you're never just one of the guys or one of the girls. People look to you for advice and it can just be, it can be lonely. Well, and I've read a number of articles and the statistics are all over the place, depending on who you ask. Um, But not one of them have I read in the last 15 years that seem to imply this isn't a massive issue for pastors. So regardless of what the ratio is, which makes me think, you know, if you're listening, you are a churchgoer, like, Pray for your pastors and leadership, yeah. but also like be a friend to them if yeah. you can. And obviously, that's not always the case. But I, I felt that the lo- the isolation, the temptation to retreat, to to feel difficulty, to just be a normal person in a conversation can be really can be really tough. Absolutely, absolutely. And I get all these. Let me give you mine. And it doesn't have a good title, so I'm just going to describe it for you. I think I would leave either my church or ministry as a whole. The word I came up with was influence. Like, and I don't mean that in a negative way, like a manipulative way. I mean, like, do you know sometimes when you're talking to people or you're, or you're speaking from the stage and you can just see it's not having an effect on people? Yeah. Like, they're not hearing you anymore? Mm. I think if I got to that point, I think that would be the number one thing that would push me out. And thankfully, I don't feel that way. Yeah. Uh, but I think 
there's a lot that you give up to be a pastor. And one of the things that is just so great is to be able to speak into people's lives and see God work. And if I didn't feel like I was making a difference in people's lives, yeah. I think I'd probably get out. Well, and you, you say there's a lot that we give up. Uh, but I do also want to say there's a lot that we gain. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Like the stories, like these five are real. And I think it's worth talking about these, uh, frequently. Yep. But the thing that I'm always reminded of is like, what a gift we have in our churches. Absolutely. And I've, I've talked with you offline too, about just little stories, things that many of you maybe think don't resonate with us yes. that we don't remember. Your leaders remember like the care mm-hmm. and affection and love, the, the small comments, the encouragement, the notes, like. I, I've, I've been able to experience some of the craziest parts of life Absolutely. alongside people, and there's not a week that goes by that I don't think, how in the world do I get to do this? I like, love being a pastor. I do, too. It, I, is, it is a blast. I honestly said earlier today, I don't, I don't think I ever imagined loving doing something as much as I love doing this. Mm-hmm. Like that, that has been such a gift to be able to find by ourselves. Bit, by this, you mean our radio show together? And Oh, no, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, sure, that too. <laughs> Well, coming up next, we like to close out every hour with some lighthearted stuff because we often spend a lot of the show diving into the mess and the gray. So, And because it's Friday. Why not? So coming up next, a couple of uh, funny, goofy, strange things we found on the internet here on The Common Good at AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. I wish you all could see just the pride on Josh's face right now coming up with those sound effects. Yes. Okay, so at the end of every hour, we just like to dive into the silly a little bit because sometimes, you know, entering into the mess and the gray, which is what the common good is all about, that can get a little heavy. So we like to come up for air a bit. And uh, the show is designed for us to enter into the gray and messy and tense. And sometimes what that also includes is just the silly, like the stuff that you, if you're just like been out living your life and you see something and you think, is anyone else seeing this? <laughs> what, what What is my life right now? Like that's just as real yeah. as all the other stories and topics we discuss. So uh, we just like to share a couple of strange things that we, we found online. And Brian, why don't you kick us off? And remember, everything online is true. So oh, gosh. <laughs> I'm going to distance myself from that statement. So there is a man by the name of Frain Selleck, and I do not see in this story where he is from, but Frain Selleck, you can look up S-E-L-A-K, okay? Okay. Frain Selleck has cheated death seven times. He survived, you ready? Uh-huh. A plane crash, wow. a train wreck, okay. two engine fires in his car, being hit by a bus, what? and a fall from a cliff. Oh, my God. And then, in 2003... Frayne Selleck won $1 million in the lottery. No kidding. Prompting journalists to name him the world's luckiest, unluckiest man ever. <laughs> I mean, just listen to that. Plane crash, train wreck, not one, two engine car fires while he's in the car. Wow. Getting hit by a bus and a fall from a cliff. I don't know if you're the unluckiest guy ever or the luckiest that they didn't kill you. Yeah, no kidding. And then when you're old in 2003, he won a million dollars in the lottery. Has anything anywhere close to any of that happened to you before? Any of those? No, I fell off a ladder once. Yeah, yeah, what? Like three (laughs) rungs, right? Like I'm listening to that list. I'm like... I'm living a boring life. Like that's a, this guy's putting himself in positions that I I can't even imagine. And in reading the story, the fall from a cliff was like a significant fall from a cliff. Like no this wasn't kidding. like oh I just fell you know ten feet. It was like every one of these things should have killed him. So it is. It's like is he lucky or is he unlucky? I don't know. Man, that is a <laughs> that is a crazy story. Brain Selleck. Okay, so here's the uh, here's the headline of this one. This one actually ends up being a uh, kind of a feel good story. Says adult film star turned pastor says she wants everyone to experience the love of God. 
So oh, that's this, nice. this woman, yeah, she she found herself in this industry, and she's really honest about like it being a pretty lucrative business. Like she said at one point she was making thirty grand a month. She owned a ten million dollar oh. mansion in Malibu with a Ferrari, a nightclub, two Escalades, a house in New York. Like she, she was she was doing really well for herself, but then God kind of came after and convicted her and did this like really powerful work in her life. And I think it was this wake up call in the midst of her line of work, just realizing like, this isn't who I want to be. I don't think this, I don't think this is who I was, who I was made to be. And it doesn't just stop there. Uh, the only other woman that she kind of introduced into this, into this trade, into this line of work, she led to the Lord. And then another gentleman, she led to the Lord who's being released from prison later this year. So she's like, it's it's not just she she found Jesus and got out. Yeah, she's like bringing the gospel to a really really surprising place in a really powerful way. And I think, oh man, what a what a story! What a story is that? That's a positive story. That's good. You you worried me when you started that one. Yeah, I get that a lot. <laughs> I was a little scared, but that was good. <laughs> that is, it's actually inspirational and good. Uh, let's go back to the bazaar. George Washington, right? First president of the United States. George Washington dentures. We always see them as made of wood, right? We always sure. hear George Washington had dentures made of wood. I'm always talking about this. <laughs> but in fact, it was made from a variety of materials, none of which were wood. What? His dentures were made of a mixture of human teeth, lead, this is gross. gold, okay. brass, bone, and hippo teeth. Ugh, how? That was the concoction. And in fact, they also fit poorly, gave him trouble speaking, and in fact, deformed his appearance. Really? Yeah. So you see the pictures, you just think, oh, they made him wooden teeth, and there, and there he went. You know, chopped down a cherry tree and put him in. I don't know. That's, that's, those are literally the two things I know about him. <laughs> that's the extent of my George Washington. Not that he mouth. was the first president in well, Delaware. That's, that's debated, actually. So no, no, it's not. <laughs> it absolutely is. You historians listening in, let Brian know what's really going on. <laughs> Conspiracy theory about <laughs> exactly, it. exactly. I got gotcha. you. Well, anyway, that was his dentures. I thought that was crazy. That is crazy. Oh. I heard you got you got one more for us, huh? Uh, Chris Hansen, you fan of Dateline? I am not Dateline NBC. So Chris Hansen always did to catch a predator. Okay. Recently on Monday, Chris Hansen uh, was arrested himself for issuing a bad check. Oh, not funny, not sad, and that would mean nothing to you unless you watched To Catch a Predator on Dateline. He was always the one hiding, finding the bad people, saying, you need to sit down and we need to talk. And no he had that kidding. Chris Hansen voice. Well, the other day, Chris Hansen, 59 years old, was charged with issuing a bad check for the failure to pay for 13, a $13,000 bill despite a police warning. Well, that's too bad. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I can't really say that's too bad, followed by uproarious laughter. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> Well, it's good, I think, for us to just share some stories, kind of come out from under the water a little bit for yep. a breath of fresh air. But, Brian, I'd love to know, just as we look back on this last week, what's like one nugget, something that kind of stands out to you as a, as a takeaway, something to take with us into the weekend that, man, that, that really resonated with me. That kind of stood out. Yeah, it's been a really full week. It's been a really full week of shows here, and I'm very excited for the weekend. There's a lot of dark stories, yeah. dark stories about the church, whether it be Harvest or pastors leaving, or whatever else it might be. A lot of dark stories, but then I feel like we were able to intersperse them with stories that were, that were like rays of light. Yeah, right. And it reminded me that not everything's dark in our world, that we focus on the darkness in our world, but all but really there's a lot of people doing a lot of good things, yep. and, and we want to hold on to that. And then on top of that is just the good news of the gospel, right? right? That story we talked about the other day, 
now there is no condemnation. I'm going to be thinking about that through the weekend, that now there's no condemnation in Christ. So let me go live out of that good news. How about yourself? Well, honestly, I I really love the segment we did with your pastor, Kelly Brady. I think uh, not only just seeing the two of you together and your clear affection for each other, Mm -hmm. but the significance, the the critical nature of spiritual mentorships, spiritual friendships in an age of digital relationships, digital communication, which I don't think is evil by any stretch. Nope. I'm, I'm not in that camp. But when it's so easy for us to find ourselves on opposite sides of issues, um, yelling disagreements back yeah. and forth at each other, our echo chambers, our confirmation bias to like do the hard, patient work of being a mentor and being mentored, um, I think it's Eugene Peterson that calls it long, faithful obedience in the same direction, right? You don't plant a seed today and expect crop tomorrow, but like the two of you are a real testament to like, this is worth investing in. And I'm sure there have been times you've disagreed, that you didn't see eye to eye, that you even um, maybe got into arguments, got into heated debates, but like, man, to say this is worth the long haul investment of knowing and being known. Mm -hmm. And that goes for pastors, that goes for parents, that goes for single people, old and young to do the hard work of knowing and being known to to leaning in rather than retreating when we when we disagree and we struggle and we we have tension in that's our midst. That's powerful. That's powerful. And my last thing for the week it really is this uh, that you can look at these big stories whether it be harvest or other things in the country or whatever else and lose sight of the fact that our calling is to is to love the people in our sphere. That's right. Like don't you don't need to go save the world. You don't need to evangelize the whole world. How about you start with your kids? Yeah, love your right. kids well this week. Uh, love your your spouse well. Go to church this weekend. Yeah. Like invest in a community that's going to be messy. It's going to frustrate you at times, uh, but you're doing it together. You've got great lines. It feels like every week you're giving me a good line about mm. community and where mm. we're heading together. Thanks, man. And, and and that's what we're doing. Like we we want to do this together. So if I could give people one one spur on this Friday afternoon. Go to church this weekend. Yeah. Invest in a church. If you're not in one, go find one yep. uh, and get into the messiness and do life. Yep, yep. And if you're if you're not married, you don't have kids, find people to do life with anyway, yes. right? Yes. People are worth investing in. You are worth being known and knowing others. And I love doing this show with you. It's been a really wild, great, inspiring week here on The Common Good. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show or at 1160hope.com right here. On AM 1160, hope for your life. Have a great weekend. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.